Up next is Pete's Ponderings on RCR, Reality Check Radio. Pete's Ponderings is a selection of Pete's candid commentary on everyday issues for Kiwis, taken from his show, Afternoons. Listen to the live broadcast of Peter Williams' Afternoon Show at 1pm, Mondays, Wednesdays and Fridays, right here on RCR, Reality Check Radio. Now, we would love you to become a Foundation member of RCR. Go to the homepage of this website, click on Membership up on the top right of the screen, and you will find out the benefits of becoming a Foundation member of RCR. I will go through some of them later on this afternoon, but it's worth your while for a modest price, especially for the introductory offers on this week. The numbers out for retail crime this year make you want to weep. You know, in the three months to the end of April, there were 45,046 retail crimes reported. Police attended one in 10 of them and made 1,041 arrests. Let that sink in. If you run a shop and you get burgled, maybe even in broad daylight, and you ring 111, you have just a 1 in 10 chance of the police coming to your place and only a 2.3% chance that an alleged offender will be arrested. That's why we have a surge in retail crime. The crims know they will get away with it. The spokesman for the Dairy Owners Association, Sonny Kershaw, said even as recently as 2015, there was a 50-50 chance of the offender being caught. Now there's a 97% chance the offender will get away. Even the Police Association, the Cops Trade Union, knows there's a major problem. They know that overall crime is up 22% in the last year, and they want more police out there doing something about it. The association's very suspicious about the number of people working behind a desk at Police National Headquarters and not out on the front line. Even then, though, isn't there way too much emphasis on traffic policing? Like, I live in the country. I'm about 20 kilometres from the nearest town, yet every trip I make into Cromwell, I reckon, no matter the time of day, I will either encounter a patrol car coming the other direction or parked up on the side of the road with the radar trying to ping a driver on a high-quality state highway with a low vehicle density for doing a few kilometres over the speed limit. It is an inefficient waste of resources, a revenue-gathering exercise. Yes, do the traffic patrol, but maybe just a couple of days a week. Why not put those cops on the beat somewhere? Make them present, make them visible on the country's streets. If we only catch 2% of the country's retail criminals, how close are we to anarchy? You're listening to Pete's Ponderings on RCR, Reality Check Radio. I want to get back on one of my favourite hobby horses, name suppression. A man described as a former international rugby player is accused of selling guns to a member of a motorcycle gang and then faking a burglary to cover his tracks. He can't be identified, but he's reported as being a retired professional who played on the world stage. 
In an earlier report, he was said to be a former super rugby player. So he is likely an ex-All Black or because his first appearance was in the Tauranga District Court, a former All Black Sevens player, the Sevens program being based in Mount Monganui for many years. He is a licensed firearms owner and it's alleged he bought five Alpha Carbine rifles using $10,000 given to him by a member of the Comancheros. He later made a report to police that the guns had been stolen and he lodged a successful insurance claim from which he received over $11,000. At his first appearance in court, his lawyer David Pawson told the judge that naming him would, quote, severely impact his reputation and employment, causing extreme hardship. To which my reaction is... Too bloody bad. There's been way too much name suppression in New Zealand courts recently. A pedophile in Wellington with 900 images of kiddie porn on his devices and a female drink driving radio host in Auckland have both recently been convicted and had permanent name suppression granted. In the Tauranga court in this case, Judge John Walker said he was satisfied extreme hardship would result if this man was named. So he put him on bail and suppressed his name until his trial, and who knows when that will be. Look, I am a great believer in open justice. Justice Matthew Down said in the Auckland High Court three years ago, quote, a high public interest attaches to the open reporting of criminal trials, especially for serious criminal offending. Giving guns to a gang member is serious criminal offending, I would have thought. Justice Downs then quoted an eminent British jurist, Lord Stain, who said, quote, full contemporaneous reporting of criminal trials in progress promotes public confidence in the administration of justice. It promotes the values of the rule of law, unquote. How can you disagree with that? Back in 2010 in this country, the then Minister of Justice, Simon Power, introduced new legislation which made clear there was no presumption of extreme hardship solely on the grounds that an alleged offender is well known. He said back then, 13 years ago, being famous is not a good enough reason to be granted name suppression. You know, even as recently as last year, the then Justice Minister Kerry Allen said, I don't think it's just, I don't think it's fair, I don't think New Zealand is looking in on the system, think the system is working adequately either. Name suppression, bizarrely, is a New Zealand invention. It started here just over 100 years ago when well-meaning probation officers argued that not publishing the names of first-time offenders would give them a better chance of reintegrating into society after their conviction. Parliament allowed name suppression under a law passed in late 1920. But over a century on, we are still an outlier. Courts in similar jurisdictions such as the United Kingdom and Australia seldom restrict publication of the names of accused people. Why do we allow it so regularly? Are we taking the presumed innocent until found guilty mantra just too far? Whatever the law, the time has come for judges to be much stricter on suppression conditions. Keeping secret the name of someone accused of supplying guns to gangs just because they once wore the silver fern on a rugby field is simply outrageous. Our text machine is now live. Send us your thoughts by texting your message to 2057. That's 2057. So get in touch with us now. I have to say that 
NewsHub's treatment of national party policy is a disgrace. It is so unbalanced, it just about tips over itself. Yesterday, the organisation was on Twitter with a report on the opposition's new roading policy with the line, National reaches back into its old bag of tricks with $26 billion pledge to build new roads. So, new roads are old tricks, eh? The phrase, old bag of tricks, doesn't actually feature in the story itself. That suggests that the News Hub social media team have a Labour Party sympathiser who knows that his or her work will not be checked for balance or neutrality before being posted. Radio New Zealand are currently holding an inquiry into the same sort of behaviour. Then in the news last night on the same story, political reporter Lloyd Burr indulged in one of the most outrageous pieces of, what should we call, tangential fear-mongering that I've seen in years. It goes like this. Christopher Luxon says one of the options to fund or part-fund the $26 billion is to have public-private partnerships, possibly involving foreign investment. As Luxon says, there's over $60 trillion in sovereign wealth and pension funds around the world looking for places to invest. So why not in New Zealand roads? But in a quite bizarre departure, with no supporting evidence to suggest that it could actually happen, apart from Luxon saying that he would look at all offers, Lloyd Burr then reports that National is leaving the door open to take money for road building from China under their Belt and Road Initiative. Cue the predictable horror and outrage from Labour and the Greens. Now, this isn't news. It is made-up anti-national propaganda to scare voters into thinking that our new roads could be economically colonised by the People's Republic. It's reminiscent of Muldoon's disgraceful dancing Cossacks from 48 years ago, except that that was advertising. This was news, or... It was supposed to be. You're listening to Pete's Ponderings on RCR, Reality Check Radio. I want to tell you about the Foundation Members Club here at RCR. As you know, we're on a mission to revive honest media, to report on critical censored stories and to hold those in positions of power to account. It's a good mission. But to make this happen, RCR needs to grow and grow fast. And for that, we need your support. The great news is there's now an easy way to show your support by becoming an integral part of RCR, while at the same time receiving some juicy benefits. So what's in it for you, you might ask? Well, aside from the sense of pride that comes from contributing to something that's big, that matters, and that is making a difference, RCR Foundation members Enjoy a host of exclusive benefits. Bonus number one, RCR Bytes. It's a curated news digest delivered to your email every day. No fluff, just the important stuff. You'll stay up to speed with current events, breaking news and censored stories in a few minutes each day with hand-picked news from RCR, local New Zealand sources and international outlets delivered to your uh, mail inbox or email inbox every weekday morning. Then, bonus number two, an RCR backstage pass, your ticket to interact with uh, the hosts on a monthly basis in insider webinars. And number three, mates rates 
on merchandise. No club membership would be complete without a hefty discount on merch, and your RCR Foundation membership is no different. So you can become an RCR Foundation member by going to the homepage of our website, which you're on at the moment, and click on membership up in the top right and become a Foundation member of RCR. We would love to have you on board. Our text machine is now live. Send us your thoughts by texting your message to 2057. That's 2057. So get in touch with us now. A shock horror story about ambulance ramping was the lead story on News Hub last night. Ramping is when ambulances have to wait on the ramp outside the hospital emergency department because there's no space inside or no staff available. In Hamilton, at one stage, there were 12 ambulances waiting to offload patients. They were parked up there for up to four hours. Five of them had seriously ill patients on board. The situation seems to be the same everywhere. According to St John, ambulances spent 204 hours ramped up around the country yesterday. The daily average is 130. In Hamilton, there were 85 patients who arrived by ambulance at Waikato Hospital in one day. No matter which way you look, the statistics point to overloaded emergency departments around the country. But is the question being asked, why? Why are there so many sick people in the country? It's a subject nobody wants to answer or even discuss. The usual twee answers are always trotted out. It's winter. The population is ageing. Really? It's like the question that wasn't asked when the number of deaths in 2022 was finally reported. How come it was 10% higher than the five-year pre-COVID average? Has it ever occurred to bureaucrats and clinicians that we could reduce the stress on our health system if we didn't get sick so often? I'm often reminded of what Hawke's Bay Dr. Alison Goodwin said to me in an interview some years ago. She said, at medical school, they teach you about anatomy and disease and drugs, but they don't teach you about health. I think that is just so profound. This government, through the Ministry of Health, has spent hundreds of millions of dollars on the COVID response. Many millions more has gone on advertising for the flu vaccine. Is there ever any promotion of how to stay healthy? how to eat and drink properly, how exercise is good for you, how cutting back the booze and staying off the fags prevents all sorts of nasties, how vitamin supplements can be worthwhile. It's not a secret. Do we make enough of an effort to stay healthy? Are we encouraged to stay healthy through lifestyle and diet? No, we are not. Should we be? Of course we should. Wouldn't it be a worthwhile exercise for a Ministry of Health to live up to its name and promote health instead of promoting drugs. Our text machine is now live. Send us your thoughts by texting your message to 2057. That's 2057. So get in touch with us now. I have some feedback to share with you. This has come in from Donald. Hi, quite surprised by Peter today. He questioned Julian, as in Julian Batchelor. This is in reference to Monday afternoon. He questioned Julian along the lines that Julian needs to change. 
Sadly, Peter did not address the glaring danger we all face with the violence and hate from many Māori. They are not special, they just live here the same as everyone else. Julian has a right to free speech, a right that Peter overlooked. Very disappointed in you, Peter, regards Donald. And then another one along the same lines. Peter, disappointing you made Julian the problem and not address the real problem, violent, nasty Māori terrorists who are stopping free speech. Not good, Peter. Thank you for that. Uh, point taken. I was just trying to trying to ask Julian some questions about why he was so confrontational. Why was he so incendiary in many of his meetings? Why could he not be just a little bit more inclusive at his meetings in terms of the people who spoke? But apparently it's just too hard, he says. I haven't been to a meeting. I cannot, I cannot report as to what would work and what wouldn't. But obviously it's not going all that well for Julian at the moment, I don't think, from the reports that I get. But maybe, maybe the reports are all wrong. Uh, this is uh, coming from Jim. According to Our World in Data, New Zealand has over the last five months been the only country worldwide consistently in the top eight for COVID deaths and infection rates, often number one and currently number three behind South Korea and Barbados. Number three, exclamation mark, exclamation mark, etc. Our media is silent, our government is silent, and still the disaster continues. Why, oh why, is no one talking about this? Hopefully the fight back has started. I see Senator Paul Rand has sent a case to the Department of Justice in the US for Anthony Fauci to answer. We cannot let what happened slide into obscurity. An apology is not enough. And as Neil Oliver says, before they apologise, they have to admit they were wrong. Those responsible for the deceit, the lies, the injustice must be brought to justice to answer a case. Here in New Zealand, they and we know who they are and they cannot be allowed to escape. It is not a time to forget and no matter how high up the ladder of power they were, they should not get a free pass for their actions. Thousands of Kiwis have suffered and will suffer in the future because of their actions. And if those responsible are not made answerable, then we do not have a democracy or a justice system worth a bottle of cold soap. Justice and simple human rights must prevail. If not, we are doomed to a future of irresponsible irresponsible immorality. Thank you for that, Jim. Hard-hitting. It would be really, really good in this country if our Royal Commission, our Commission of Inquiry, had a scope which was expanded somewhat. Sadly, I am not seeing it happen. RCR is on a mission to revive Honest Media, and now you too can be an integral part of it by joining the RCR Foundation Members Club. Receive exclusive benefits only available to club members, including your own backstage pass to join the hosts for interactive behind-the-scenes discussions, along with our all-new daily curated news summary, RCR Bytes, that's delivered to your email box every morning, keeping you on the pulse of the news that matters in just a few minutes per day. To find out more, visit realitycheck.radio slash members to see how you can join the mission that's making a difference. It's making a difference. Okay, I'll confess I have hypertension or high blood pressure. I keep it under control with a little pill I take each day. 
I also like a drink, a beer or two, probably on more days of the week than I should. I haven't had a drink for two days now, though, and it's probably just as well after reading reports yesterday of the new blood pressure study in the magazine Hypertension. Who knew there was a magazine called Hypertension? It's been discovered, though, that as little as one drink a day can raise your systolic blood pressure. That's the top number in a blood pressure reading. And small amounts of alcohol can also raise the lower or diastolic reading in men. Elevated blood pressure puts you more at risk of a stroke or a heart attack. I think we all know that. This study involved nearly 20,000 people in Japan, South Korea and the United States over 25 years between 1997 and 2021. And it followed each of the study participants for five years. If you had one standard drink a day, your top blood pressure reading would rise by about one and a quarter points over five years. But if you had four drinks, it would rise five points over five years. Now, those would not appear to be drastic increases, but according to the lead author of the study, Marco Vincetti from the Boston School of Public Health, quote, alcohol is not the sole driver of increases in blood pressure, but the findings confirm it contributes in a meaningful way. And he goes on to say that limiting alcohol intake is advised and avoiding it is even better, unquote. Another finding of the study is that people with a trend towards increased blood pressure may benefit the most from low to no alcohol consumption, all of which is pretty depressing as you get older because you like to drink more and more as you get older, I've found. As we get older, though, our blood vessels weaken and narrow and our arteries lose their elasticity. Therefore, we're more susceptible to higher blood pressure. But remember, there are also these so-called blue zones around the world where residents regularly live past 100, places like Sardinia and various towns in Greece and the elderly there regularly have a drink with dinner. So go figure. This study is great news, of course, for the Wowser groups like Alcohol Health Watch, who can point to yet another health risk through drinking alcohol. But will it have a meaningful impact of alcohol consumption around the world? I doubt it. People like to drink for the sheer conviviality of it. And hasn't it also been proved that being social is very good for your health and your blood pressure too? If you want proof, I just go to happy hour at any retirement village. You're listening to Pete's Ponderings on RCR, Reality Check Radio. Now, if you ever had any doubt that chefs were sensitive souls to be treated with kid gloves at all times so as to not crack their ego, look no further than one time MasterChef Australia judge George Calambaris. He has a restaurant in Melbourne called Hellenic House Project. It's billed as an authentic Greek dining experience. Anyway, this person goes after waiting six weeks for a booking has a bad experience there and gives the restaurant a rating of one star, which is a red rag to a bull for a tender little ego like George Calambaris obviously has. The diner laid out his problems, the service was poor, the food took a long time to come out and said that far from being an authentic Greek dining experience, the manager of the place was Indian. Well, that set Calambaris off 
even more. He abused the reviewer back. After admitting that, yes, the service was bad, he became upset at having pointed out the reality that his manager was Indian. Yes, my manager is Indian, and you are not welcome back at the Hellenic House Project, he wrote. You don't have to be Greek or speak Greek to work at the HHP. I hate racism. Effin hate it, unquote. Now, isn't that just a ridiculous overreaction by the bruised ego of a restaurant owner? The key is the service at the place was terrible. The food was slow coming out. And frankly, you know, I would struggle to have an authentic Greek dining experience managed by an Indian. Is pointing out the bleeding obvious when highfalutin claims are made about the atmosphere and the experience at the Hellenic House Project really racism? I don't think so. Oh, and by the way, George Kalambaris is not the best of employers. He has some form. In 2019, he had to give 500 staff $8 million in back-paid wages because he had underpaid staff at his previous restaurant business, which is called Made Establishment. Uh, next time I'm in Melbourne, just remind me not to go to a George Kalambaris restaurant. Our text machine is now live. Send us your thoughts by texting your message to 2057. That's 2057. So get in touch with us now. This has been the Peter Williams Afternoon Show. If you'd like to get in touch, my address is inbox at realitycheck.radio. And my text is 2057. Or you can find us on Facebook. Just search for Reality Check Radio. I'm back on Friday afternoon. You've been listening to Pete's Ponderings on RCR, Reality Check Radio. Remember, you can catch Pete's full show combining smooth sounds and candid commentary on everyday issues for Kiwis and the Peter Williams Afternoon Show on our live broadcasts, 1pm, Mondays, Wednesdays and Fridays, right here on RCR, Reality Check Radio. Our text machine is now live. Send us your thoughts by texting your message to 2057. That's 2057. So get in touch with us now.